everyone, um, and we're back for our second podcast for Buxton Coat Solicitors. Um, I hope you all enjoyed the first one. Um, and if you haven't listened to the first one about Buxton Coat Solicitors and my opinion of professional associations, um, please go back and have a listen. Um, but thank you for joining us today. Uh, I'm joined by my colleague, Christopher Walton, um, giving you your full name. I've been naughty. Chris is a solicitor in the employment and HR team at Buxton Coat Solicitors. And I'm going to let him um, introduce himself and um, say a little bit more about the type of work that he does. Um, and we'll go from there. So, hi, Chris. Welcome. Well, thank you very much, first of all, for having me on your podcast. I feel very honoured in, in particular to follow Chris Barrow. And, and that really is an excellent podcast that, that everyone should listen to. Um, uh, so what do I do for Buxton Coates Solicitors? Well, I look after 46 dental practices of really very varying size, complexity, and with a, a great deal of mixture from um, you know, purely NHS practices to mixed practices to very high-end practices who are branching out into new and exciting things such as aesthetics. Uh, and various specialisms um, as well. Uh, but what's really interesting about doing that is, is how um, similar the themes that flow through those businesses are. And I know we're going to come on to talk about some of the, 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 the commonalities. Um, uh, so, yes, and um, outside of, of looking after those, those clients who subscribe to the service, I uh, undertake quite a lot of settlement agreement work mostly for non-dental people. So we're here on the east of Leeds in a, in a big industrial area. And there, there are lots of people from all sorts of exciting companies who, who come uh, to settle. Um, and uh, in addition, we, we, we look after um, various people who are either bringing or responding to claims in the employment tribunal. And in particular, uh, through our friends at the uh, BSDHT. Um, uh, the Hygienists Society. So, yes, that's what I do. Yeah, so full on. Um, full on. Yeah. Um, so, um, Chris, tell us a little bit more about you um, and what you do when you're not um, in the office and not working with, with clients. Well, that's when my real job starts because yeah. I have two <laughs> daughters who are 10 and 12 uh, or nearly 13 now. And um, so I have quite a busy home life as well. We have various animals uh, around the place and uh, I um, very much like creative things. So I, I play guitar in a rock band, uh, you know, trying to relive being 17 again um, and uh, I paint and I make prints and I drag my children around galleries. Perfect. Um, so moving back to the type of work that we do, um, you mentioned the um, settlement agreements. And yeah. people listening to the podcast, they may not be aware of what a settlement agreement is. Um, and I think it's important because what a settlement agreement is and what it does maybe leads into what I did want to speak about today. So maybe we can we can go into a little bit more detail about that because I do find in um, my many years of, of being an employment solicitor and especially acting in the dental industry is that the type of work that I undertake 
changes depending on the economy at the time. And uh, we're on this slowdown um, at the moment. Um, and therefore, what tends to happen is that the work changes from people getting their ducks in a row, should I say, and making sure they've got the correct contracts and staff handbooks and policies and procedures in place, which are really important. But people yeah. tend to focus a bit more on um other areas and maybe looking at what they can do to manage their teams. And one of the things that I find happens is that there's an increase in contentious work. And what I mean by contentious work is that employees of workers, self-employed staff, um, start making claims um, against their employer or their engager because um, we're looking for ways to receive compensation um, or to make sure that we do recoup every penny, uh, depending on the circumstances of the claim. And I am finding, I'm, I'm sure you are, Chris, that at the moment there's an increase in contentious work and it's becoming a little bit litigious um, in society, um, if not already. Um, but there's definitely a change at the moment, I think. Well, I, th I think that this is sort of generally true of all law, and, and you and I have been in the game long enough to remember the introduction of tribunal fees for bringing claims and then the withdrawal of yeah. tribunal fees for bringing claims and, 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 and colleagues in law firms ebbing and flowing <laughs> as the work dried up and then was reintroduced. So absolutely, and we, I think we're at a time when perhaps it's never been easier to bring a claim. Um, uh, I, and that is part of a of a, a revolution. I think it's not not too strong a word in in law that has allowed individuals to do things for themselves. I mean, one has always been able to bring a claim uh, for yourself, but um, the navigating the labyrinthine procedures of the court or tribunal system uh, in the past has been very difficult without the assistance of a solicitor. But I, I don't think that's true nowadays. As anyone who's spent more than two seconds on the ACAS website will know, it, it's a very simple website. And in fact, the, 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 you know, across the law, the government has made huge strides, I think, in, in making information available on, on gov.uk. So it's very easy to bring a claim. And, and therefore, you see a rise in attempts to settle claims because you and I would agree, I'm, I think we'd, we absolutely agree, that, that, that taking something right to the nth degree in the tribunal is a very risky process and, and a very costly one, both in terms of time and, and money. So the way in which we go about bringing proceedings to an end, a, a premature end, is through settlement. And this can take a number of forms and, and it doesn't have to be done in a process um, that has started. So you don't have to wait until somebody has sued you. Um, but, but these discussions are held on what is called a without prejudice basis. And, and that is where um, you are able to have a sensible discussion uh, with somebody that you are either in dispute with or potentially in dispute with and try and resolve that to each party's mutual satisfaction. Uh, and if that process is conducted properly and isn't, a, as it were, a sham process, then, then all of that process should be inadmissible in the court or the tribunal. Because what the tribunal system doesn't want uh, is claims. Uh, our justice system it, it, it is creaky, is really creaking at the seams. And, and, and 
anyone who cares to sort of look on BBC website or, or any of the other news organisations will see horror stories of unheated courts, you know, staffing problems, delays in cases, to, to the extent that I think when we're advising clients about issuing claims, you, you know, you can kick the actual action one or two years down the track. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's so think, stuffed up. Yeah, I think I think I think you touched on so many points there that we should pick up on. I think the first is yes, there are huge delays in our court systems. Um, and I think this is a knock-on effect from the pandemic. I think just like the dental industry, there are huge recruitment issues in the uh, legal world. Um, and this is meaning that the court systems can't move quick enough. So access to justice is is very slow at the moment, we should say. So I totally <laughs> agree with you there. Um, I think one of the points you picked up, I mean, as an employer and as we tend to act for the employer, um, it's really difficult um, to employ team members because, as you said, there is so many uh, websites where employees can access information um, about whether things have been done wrong or right in practice. And I think what's difficult for practice managers and practice owners is HR and employment legislation is only a small amount of their day-to-day -day job. Um, they don't have any training in it. It's not something where um, we hear of people going on courses to improve it. And, and it's our full-time job, isn't it? You know, every day we're making sure we're up to date with the current legislation. So what happens is what the practice manager thought they were doing correctly five years ago isn't the right thing to do now. Somebody goes on Google, you're not allowed to do that. And then we end up in a dispute. Um, so I totally agree with you. I think what's difficult is... And what I feel for clients about is when we have those cases where the employer really hasn't done anything wrong and the employee is threatening at making a case, a claim against, against them, or they do go ahead and make um, a case. Um, and quite often um, they will be unrepresented and they probably do it because, as you said, uh, there's no employment tribunal fees. It's quite straightforward form for them to fill in online. But the employer has got to deal with that. And that's really difficult for the employer because even if legally they are spot on and they've done everything right, they still have to deal with this claim that lands on their desk. Um, and I always feel for clients um, in those situations because there's nothing they can do about it. We have to deal with it and we have to respond to it. Um, and therefore it costs, it costs them in legal fees to do so. And it is time consuming and ex extremely stressful. It's oh, not yes. a process to go through. I mean, I think the stress shouldn't be underestimated. And we often um, advise clients to think commercially about these situations, you know, cost, benefit, risk analysis, um, all that sort of solid business textbook stuff. But actually, the sleepless nights, the having to go into work where somebody might have accused you of something really horrific and knowing that you can't ask them uh, to be uh, away from the business 
for fear of making the situation worse, even though you do have tools like suspension at your disposal, but 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 they're to be used extremely carefully and only with advice. So I think it is an absolute minefield for employers. Um, uh, I, I on the point about the uh, the enormity of the law. Uh, I often say two things to clients. First of all, you can go on um, uh, the government's legislation uh, website and you can download a PDF of the Employment Rights Act. And if you do so, you'll see just how big that is. That's only one piece of legislation, but it's enormous. The second is walk into any um, bookshop and go to the law student section and, and just pick off a, um, a legal textbook on employment law and you will once again see the enormity of the challenge you're facing. So, you know, we we strongly advise people to do two things. One is take advice, but secondly, get yourself insured. And most people's responses are, well, we've already got insurance and, and, and that's great. But often that is insurance against trips and slips or injuring a staff member. It's, it's um, often that people check their schedule and discover they don't in fact have legal expenses cover, which is, specific cover for where an employee or um, dare I say a self-employed person claiming to be an employee sues you the employer so you know if you take nothing else um, away from this podcast please go and get yourself some insurance because it will be the best money you've ever spent yeah and I think it's important because though those insurance products what they do is they cover your legal fees out of court settlement and, and it also can cover judgment if you end up in a final hearing scenario. And what's um, different about the employment tribunal opposed to some of the other, to, to, to the county court, for example, is that in the employment tribunal, the, the winning party does not have to pay the losing party's legal fees. And I think this is an important um, point to note and why we end up with so many people bringing a claim, because it doesn't cost the claimant anything. They can put in a claim and they know, or they may be advised, that even if they lose their claim, they won't have to pay the lo- uh, the winning party's legal fees back. So there's no um, deterrent to putting in a claim. For the employer, of course, they receive the claim and they'll probably have legal fees to pay in the region of 20, 30,000 pounds plus VAT, depending on the complexity of the case. Um, and they've got the stress, the time of closing down the practice to go and be witnesses at the tribunal hearing and, and getting the other team members involved and so on. So quite often, claimants are advised, well, hang on a minute, if it's going to cost them some money in legal fees, put in a claim, and if they'll settle for two or £3,000, at least you've got two or £3,000 because it's actually saving the employer 17000 if they're going to pay that in legal costs, then they might lose at the end. And I think what happens is if you've got legal expenses insurance um, is that it gives you the ability to be able to at least make 
commercial decisions, but look at the merits of the case in more detail. And we even look at strike out. And quite often we can get them struck out. But for example, if it's costing you £6,000 in legal fees to get that struck out and they'll go away for £1,000, mm-hmm. the commercial reality is pay them the £1,000 to go away. And I know that that can be incredibly emotive and quite difficult for employers, especially yeah by what's happening because we are close-knit teams and quite often at the dental practice um you know you may have known a team member for an awful long period of time and then it's ended up in this way and i think that you've touched upon something that that i spend a lot of time talking with clients about which is the seeming unfairness of settling and i think this has extremely deep roots in human history and and Sarah as you know I'm a terrible bore on the subject of history and the history of law in particular but I think it's all relevant because in particular in this country we have a thousand year unbroken tradition of of the same law the same law emanating from Westminster um, quite literally from Westminster Hall uh, and then being adjudged in the courts Um, uh, the concept of settlement is almost a dirty word, the idea of compromise, of backing down. And I think this this comes from this idea that, you know, where laws are made in the House of Commons, the benches are set two swords distance apart so that, uh, you know, back in the day, the, uh, uh, you know, the opposing uh, parties, uh, who, lest we forget, had been through a civil war with one another, um, couldn't hack pieces out of each other. Um, but 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 we have an adversarial system, and therefore um, adversarial outcomes um, are expected. Uh, the, the the courts and tribunal system is an adversarial system. So I think that the with that as a starting point, and with the the, the weight of history behind us. Um, it's hard proposing settlement because it involves both sides backing down. The claimant is often exceptionally angry. The respondent feels exceptionally hurt because, you know, this is their baby, your dental practice, you know, that you've poured your blood, sweat and tears into um, is under attack. Um, and, And so quite often neither side are in the mood for compromise, but actually Compromise is often the best medicine for both parties. And, and, and you know, there's a whole host of reasons why, um, you know, for both parties, having a public written judgment is, is likely to do neither any great favours. Um, because now all of us can search when we're looking to employ somebody, we can search the Employment Tribunal database. Would we employ somebody who'd brought a claim? Um, or numerous claims. Or numerous claims. Yes, we get serial um, claimants. <laughs> um, uh, 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 would you know? Would we want to work for an employer who had discriminated against somebody? So I think that that, that the concept of settlement to us as lawyers who are, of course, emotionally removed from the bargain, often seems like the most sensible compromise. But we meet quite a lot of you know very understandable re- resistance to that but I for me it's often the best medicine and and I'd like to say just two things um uh, if I may very briefly one is that when we were promoting insurance earlier I should say we're not under anyone's um we're not on any sort of commission for promoting that and I often I often joke with clients that of course we're not paid as much by the insurers as privately paying people so that that I think is genuinely our view of what is in the best interests of clients um 
and you know secondly there's no shame in settling i think um keeping things confidential um agreeing to disagree compromising walking away getting the thing dealt with early really you know lancing the boil if you like or dealing with the abscess to use a dental <laughs> analogy you, you know dealing with it quickly confidentially confidentially and, and efficiently I think is is really often the best remedy but but it is one I think that is not within the nature of um, society as it is at the moment, you know, the kind of bipolar nature of everything being an angry argument online or, or, or with the weight of history and our adversarial system. Yeah, absolutely. And and when settlement is um, in place, and I, I suppose we've come full circle here about something that you said that you do um, on, a, on a, um, a daily basis, is that you can't settle that without a legally... Uh, a watertight binding agreement in place yeah. which is called a settlement agreement yeah. um, and that's where we put all these clauses in there to make sure it is confidential to make sure that there's no derogatory comments made um etc etc depending on the circumstances so um that's so important that if you are looking to settle that you do take advice to make sure that it's all tied up yeah. and i think just to finish chris i think it is really important that there shouldn't be any embarrassment or anger about either receiving a claim or settling a claim or maybe even going to final hearing if that's what's required um because the statistics show that one in three businesses at some point uh, uh, receive an employment tribunal claim um so it's on the cards <laughs> if you own a business absolutely yeah, I think we have to accept that. I think what's important is how we deal with it and that when we are dealing with the team and managing the team, that we do it in the way that puts you in the best position possible uh, so that if you do have a claim, you can defend that claim. And I think that's what we do on a day-to-day -day basis really well for our clients as solicitors um, and as legally trained um members in, in in our team we're always thinking about but what happened if this would go to tribunal and um, because that's that where we have in-depth knowledge um and therefore we can advise in the right way on a day-to-day -day basis and i think that's really really important yeah it's like like we always say it's like playing chess in reverse isn't it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely um, so on that note, thank you so much, Chris, for joining me today. Um, it's really appreciated. Thank um, you. I hope that this helps um, some people out there. Um, and if you do have any comments um, about today's podcast or anything that you would like to hear more about, please do let us know. Um, you can contact me at sarah.buxton, that's B-U-X-T-O-N, at buxtoncoats.com. Um, thank you so much for your time and um, I'll see you next month for next month's podcast.